Try to imagine this scenario. A parent says to their child, go clean your room. Child nods, acknowledges. The next day, the parent asks the question, did you clean your room? The child's response is, well, I have been studying what you said. Uh, in fact, in fact, I, I have even invited some of my friends to, to join me in really studying what you said. Um, in fact, I have even memorized what you said. You said, go and clean your room. Now, depending on who your parents were, will determine how that story finishes. I just want to clarify that mine would finish really quickly, right? Really quick. That conversation is, is, is going to take a turn. If you are a parent, then closing the gap between what is said and what is heard is important to you. It's important because you know the consequences of what happens if your children don't listen to you. And you know their life could be so much more blessed if they will listen to you. And so here's what I'm, what, what if the same thing is true with God? What if listening to God means life is better for you? And what if not listening to God means more hurt for you? What if God is the perfect parent whose motives for wanting you to listen to him are absolutely pure, right? Because not every time does a parent have pure motives. I'm saying, what if God's motives are never about manipulating you? Like he's trying to get you to do something that he needs. He doesn't need anything from you. What if God's motives are absolutely pure in order for you to be blessed? Do you really listen to God? That is the question for today. I want to welcome you. Really, for a lot, I'm welcoming you back. For those of you who may be first time today, hey, we're so glad that you're joining us. For many of you, I'm welcoming you back from the Arctic blast, right? I, I, I'm truly glad you're back. So today, whether you're at one of our campuses or whether you're joining us online, I'm excited about unpacking Luke chapter 8 for you. It, it is an amazing group of stories, but before the stories, we get an update from Luke. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 8, look at verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and we're told the 12 who we studied recently, they're with him. 
But watch what Luke gives us here. And also, some women. Some women who had been cured. Cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. That is fascinating to me. And it ought to be fascinating to anyone who's ever been taught that the Bible does not champion the value of women. This is an incredible statement of how significant a role these women played in the life and in the mission of Jesus. Because I'm reminding you that at times there were thousands of people following. Now we got 12 apostles, right? We've studied them. But there are times that there are thousands of people who are following. There are many disciples. The fact that Luke chooses to name these women is an incredibly loud statement as to the impact they made. And, and for me this week, I, I really got, got stuck on Joanna. I did. I couldn't get away from that. Every single day that I'm, I'm reading through this chapter, Joanna's circumstance that's described here, we don't know like how she was healed. I don't know what the disease was or what her story was, but it says all those women were healed of something. But the fact that her husband is connected to Herod, like the Herod who puts John the Baptist in prison, John will lose his life there. That Herod, that leader, that king, her husband... It says, is, is the, it uses the word manager that I read. Today, it would probably be something like a CFO. He's like a chief financial officer for, for Herod's kingdom. I wonder how Joanna first heard about Jesus. I wonder if it was John. I wonder if it was while John was in prison. It would be just like God to write such a story. Doesn't it seem risky for Jesus to let her follow, knowing her connection to Herod? But we've already found out that Jesus is all right with risk. And I'm going to also say, isn't it risky for her to follow Jesus? Knowing her connection to Herod. But not only does she follow, she also, Luke very clearly tells us, she's helped support the ministry. These women, they leverage what they have to resource the mission. What a powerful story of a woman who, who by choosing to follow Jesus is suddenly impacting the world around her. Hmm. Interesting bit of info that Luke gives us. And then he starts to tell us stories. Like the day that Jesus tells this story about a farmer who is scattering seed. 
Now you got to remember in that day, we, we don't have any big equipment that's going on. We got no motorized, right? When they scatter seed, you, you imagine literally they're scattering seed. And, and the story goes like this. As the farmer is scattering seed, some of the seed falls on the path. Now, the path was most likely literally the path that ran down the side of the field. It's where they would travel. It's where the carts would move. Some of the seed fell on the path. People trampled on it, and the birds ate it up. It was like a quick meal to the birds, right? Fast food. They, they see the, the seed hit the ground, and here come the birds. Some of the seed falls on rocky ground, he says, that, that most likely would not mean there's simply rocks in the field. The farmers would have gotten rid of those. This is probably talking about red rock where there's not a whole lot of soil. The, the seed looks like it's going to grow, but it quickly withers because there's no water to make it work. Some of the seed, Jesus says, falls among thorns. You, you could think the word weeds. That, that's similar to what that word means. So it all grows up together, but as it grows up together, the thorns choke out the plant and then some of it falls on good soil, he says. And what falls on good soil, it produces this crop, which means a hundred times more than was actually sown into the ground. And at the end of that story, Jesus makes this statement. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He is distinguishing between people who can hear and who cannot hear. And he's not talking about physical healing. He's talking about spiritual hearing. He's talking about understanding. In other words, for those of you who understand, for those of you who are hearing what I'm saying, listen carefully to what I'm saying. The disciples then say, well, we want to know what you mean. Tell us what the story means. And before he interprets the story, Jesus then goes on to give them this little bit of information. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Don't make too much out of that. What they, I think the reference here is he's saying the stuff that you could not see in the Old Testament, what they couldn't see back there, now it's being revealed as Jesus has arrived. The secrets of the knowledge, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. There comes this time in Jesus' ministry, and Matthew also affirms this, where the majority of Jesus' teaching is through what's called parables or stories. It's a significant, noticeable switch that he just starts teaching everything in stories. And what we begin to realize is it seems to be this mark for Israel, God's people, to whom Jesus has come to declare this news, but they are repetitively rejecting who he is. They are refusing to listen to what he's got to say. 
And there comes this point where he begins to teach more and more in the stories. It's almost like a judgment, if you will, that for those who are refusing to hear, they're not going to understand what he's saying. It's just a story to them. But to those who have ears to hear, to those who have hearing of understanding, he's able to convey remarkable truth to them. So Jesus explains the story for those who can hear. And here's what he says, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. There's our word. They hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. This whole thing's about hearing. They hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, it's kind of like what we read with John last week, you go through struggles, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Wow. I'm not sure there's a better category in this story for the culture in which we live than that one. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and buy. Check this out. Persevering produce a good crop. Persevering, they produce a crop. Jesus says when it comes to hearing, uh, the, the word persevering, right, means continual. You, you continue, you, you keep going, you don't quit, and, and then produce a crop. That's what you, you plant the crop, it grows. I think Jesus is being really clear in this story. He says true hearing is evidenced by continual growth. If you're going to write something down today, that's one of the things that's worth writing down. True Hearing is evidenced by continual growth. How do you know if somebody really hears from God? How do you know if somebody really listens to God? How do you know if someone really has a connection to God? Jesus says there will be a persevering, producing a crop. There will be continual growth in their life. Okay, what does that mean? And it's almost as Luke says, I'm going to tell you what this means. Listen to the next story. Here's what it says, verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Time out. I think these are the kind of places we read in the Bible and we go, who in their right mind would put a fire under the bed, right? Well, it's because that's not how their beds were. Their beds didn't work like that. They didn't have beds that were off the ground, right? Their beds were usually a, a, mat, a, a mat on the floor. And so think of it this way. If you're going to put out a fire, sometimes the way people try to do that is you get something to cover. You try to, you try to stomp out the fire. That would have been this imagery. So to put the fire in a clay pot 
is to make the, 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 the light covered and go out. To, to, to put it under the mat is to, is to put out the fire. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand that those who come in can see the light. Light is to be seen. Keep going. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought about into the open. What's he saying? I think what Jesus is saying here is that what I am speaking is going to be known. And he's saying, even what I'm saying to you guys in, in, in the little group, right, of, of even 12, what, what seems to be said behind the scenes, no, it is going to be seen. It is going to be shared. Therefore, consider carefully how you what? Listen. Are we starting to get the picture that maybe the message of Luke chapter 8 is something about hearing and something about listening? He just keeps bringing the word back over and over. And even in this story of light, light that you don't put under a jar and light that you don't cover up with a mat, he says, be careful then how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. I think the message of this little story that Jesus tells is he connects true hearing to sharing. You share what you receive. You share what you learn. You share what you have. When you truly have ears to hear and you hear the message of a Savior, you don't put that under a clay pot. You don't cover that up with a blanket. No, you want that message to be spread. And he says there is this multiplication factor that happens here that that as you hear the word of God and as you share the word of God, you think, man, this is amazing. There can't be any more than this. He says, but the more you do it, the more you share it, the more he brings to light. And it multiplies, just like in the story, a hundred times. The stories continue. Verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside, waiting, wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is one of those places that if we read it in isolation, we go, wow, Jesus is really rude to his family. But we've already studied this a little bit. We studied this, right, back when, when Mary had the conversation with Jesus at 12 years old when he's at the temple and he's starting to, to make sure that even she distinguishes between the relationship that he has with an with a earthly family, right, with his, with his flesh and blood versus there is a bigger kingdom. There is a, a bigger family to which he is connected. And in this little story, he leaves no doubt. He, he connects it to... To obedience. He, he connects hearing. You hear God's word and you put it into practice. So let's put that together. We got three stories so far. What, what is the message here? Here's the message 
I believe that is so clear. True hearing is evidenced by continual growth. What does that look like? Sharing what I hear from God and obeying what I hear from God. That's what he's saying. Who's listening to God? The people where there's continual growth, how is there continual growth? It's because they hear from God and they share what God says. They hear from God and they obey what he says. I love this. This is a picture of generosity, which is who you become when you become a child of God. You suddenly have a perspective that everything you are blessed with, it is from him. And so even when it comes to God's word, that he's speaking to you, God guiding you, God directing you, you see that as opportunity. When God speaks, you, you pass on what he's given you. You share it. You don't hold it. You share the good news of a savior. It's generosity. But what good is generosity Without genuineness, like who are you to tell people something that you don't even live out? Who are you to talk to people and teach them about the things of God if you don't actually live out the things of God? And so I just, I think it's an amazing pairing here. How Luke, right, takes the, the stories that Jesus has given it and he goes, do, do you understand this is about a genuine heart that hears God's word and lives it out. And it's about a generous heart that hears God's word and lives it out. And when that happens, the evidence of hearing God is continual growth. Listen to me, we have a way of speaking about salvation in a way that I think sometimes we make people think it's all about a moment. A moment when we pray, saying, God, I need you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. We we make it at times sound like it's complete. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe all true relationships start with a moment. They do, right? A relationship of of marriage, 75 years, starts with a moment where somebody says, I do. I'm, I'm not discounting the moment. I'm just saying sometimes when we talk about salvation, we make it sound like it's all about the moment, but Jesus said it's all about the life. Those who truly hear, it's about the life. And then the rest of Luke chapter 8 is three more stories. It's the story of these disciples who get in the boat with Jesus to head to the other side of the lake. What happens? Storm. They think they're going to die, and Jesus is doing what? He's sleeping. They wake him up. Jesus, we're going to die. What does Jesus do? He speaks to what? He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. And they what? They calm. The storms, listen. Jesus then encounters a demon-possessed man. Horrible story. He can't even live among people. He lives among the tombs. Jesus speaks to the evil spirits. 
Now, this is the story where they go into the herd of pigs, remember, and the herd of pigs go over. That's this story. But the point is Jesus speaks to them, and they come out of the man. The demons listen. And then there's the story of a synagogue leader whose little girl is incredibly sick. He goes to Jesus asking for Jesus to come and to heal his little girl. And while Jesus is on the way to the house, he pauses because somebody else needs healing. And in the process, the little girl dies. Jesus continues to the house. And it says he takes the little girl by the hand. And it's a term of endearment. It would almost be like, hey, sweet. Hey, babe. Get up. And the dead listen. What a, I mean, three stories that he puts. I mean, can it be any clearer? The storms listen. The demons listen. The dead listen. The question is, do you Listen, do you listen to God's word? I think a worthwhile question is, okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, how how do you actually do that? It would have been impossible for us to move past this today without making a jump to a little later in the New Testament where we find a book of the Bible that is authored by a guy named James who just happens to be connected to Jesus. In a way of, he's one of the half-brothers of Jesus, most likely one of the brothers who was there that day in Galilee when they're trying to get Jesus to come home. What are you doing? Well, apparently James learned some things along the way. I want you to listen to what he says here. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen. What's the opposite of quick to listen? Close-minded. Close-minded is the opposite of quick to listen. Close-minded is I don't need to listen. Can I tell you that people who are closed-minded, though, demonstrate a weakness, right, where you always have to defend your view Therefore, you don't want to hear. He says, no, you got to be quick to listen. you got to be slow to speak. What's the opposite of slow to speak? The opposite is to be overly talkative. Somebody said there's a reason God gave us two ears, one mouth, but, but some of us confuse that at times, right? Because we always need to be talking even when we're listening to people. It's for the purpose that as soon as they pause, we can talk. And we don't just do that with people, we do that with God. So we don't hear his word. Slow to become angry. What's the opposite of slow to become angry is to have a, is to have a quick fuse, right? And, and it's almost like James knows where we're going to go with this because we're going to get all theological on him and we're going to go, but James, even God gets angry sometimes. And James is like, yeah, 
but human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, God's got an anger that's righteous anger. His anger is always appropriate. It is always on time. It is always on point. Yours is not. You need to learn how to pause and listen. Isn't that amazing? But watch where he takes it from here. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept, watch, the word planted. Whoa, like seed? Like seed scattered? The word planted in you. Check out the language, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Try to imagine this scenario. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And we, not, we acknowledge, okay. And the next day he says, so... Are you making disciples? Well, Jesus, I have really been studying what you said. In fact, I I have even invited some of my friends to join me in studying what you said. In fact, once a week, we get together and we, we study what you said. In fact, Jesus, you're going to be so proud. I have even memorized what you said. You said, go and make disciples. The rest of it is of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And don't forget the next part. And teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. That sounds a lot like when you hear God's word, you share it. When you hear God's word, you obey it. Because the true evidence of hearing God, the true evidence of listening to God, the true evidence of this relationship with God is a continual growth. So I've gotten to the point where most weeks I give you some questions to to work on, to wrestle with in light of here's the truth we've got and what do we do with it. Today, I just got one. Because it felt like the kind of lesson, if you will, that I'm not sure we need a lot of questions to answer, although I'm sure there's some more that could be asked. It feels more like we got a lot of action to take. So here's my question. What have you done in response to hearing God's word this week? What have you done in response to hearing God's word this week? If you're listening to God, right, and you've, you've, you've read his word, you've, you've, you've heard him speak, what, what, what are you doing 
this week. Now, I'm not trying to be mean in what I'm about to say, okay? I'm not trying to be mean in what I'm about to say, but I am trying to be clear. Stop leaning on the prayer that you prayed years ago that you think makes you right with God. Because Jesus said the evidence is continual growth. Sharing and obeying as you hear from him. That means continual at least weekly, right? I gave you a break on weekly. I could have said today. Like, well, what if, what's been your response today since you've, since you've heard God's word? But I'm just saying, come on, even this last week, what did you hear from God that you put into practice? Again, I'm not trying to freak you out, but, but I am here today to give you somewhat of a warning. I am a professional at funerals. I am. I have done more of them in my lifetime than I even know how to count. Here's my warning to you. Don't get to your funeral and let all you have to lean on for a relationship with God be that you can say, someday in the past, I prayed this prayer. Someday in the past, I checked this box. I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I checked the box. Don't get to your funeral and let that be all you've got to lean on for a relationship with God. Because God actually wants a relationship with you. Yeah, it can start with a prayer. It can start with a moment. And maybe it was a time that you, you walked forward and you talked to somebody or you checked the card, you wrote it down. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. That's where it starts. But that's not where it ends. Jesus said it's about this continual growth. That as you hear God's word, you're sharing it. And as you, you hear God's word, you're obeying it. My, my question is, do you listen? Maybe uh, you, you've heard his word. But man, you, you, you are close to allowing an enemy to steal it. You are close to allowing some struggle to steal it. You, you are close to allowing the, the pleasures of this world to steal it. Today is your day to say, God, as you speak, will you help me to listen and then open God's word? He is speaking by his spirit, through his word, he is speaking. I want to close with something that I think is absolutely stunning. For me, it just left me stunned this week. Those first followers of Jesus including all those 12 men, they struggled to understand that Jesus would die. They did. So much so that when he actually did, they ran. They ran, they hid, they denied even that they knew him. Almost all of them. And I say almost. Luke tells us in chapter 24 on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb wow 
when everybody else is running the other direction, the women are still walking toward him. And I'm not saying they understood what was happening. I'm not saying their hearts weren't broken. I'm just saying it's almost as if one final act of sharing what they have, that they would bring those spices to anoint his body. But they get to a tomb. And not only is the stone rolled away, but nobody is inside. No Jesus ready to be embalmed. Not there. But we're told that two men who were dressed in clothes that were gleaming light, lightning, they, they said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? Don't you remember the word he spoke to you? This is what he said, verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, raised again. This is the word that was spoken to you, and this is the word on this day that has been fulfilled. And then it says, verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. Check them out. It was Mary Magdalene, and it was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the others with them. They told it to the apostles. The women are still there. It is this picture of a perseverance that just will not stop. And in the case where they again are giving almost one last offering, right? They come to the tomb of Jesus expecting him dead. But remember what he said, right? To those whoever they have, oh, they will be given so much more. And now they walk away from a tomb with a message to share that is going to change the world. The picture of lives that persevere, continually growing, sharing what they've been given, obedient to his word. The book of Hebrews says, Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Amen. today, that's where I want us to land. I want you to hear the word. I want you to listen to the word that God speaks to you. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word because it is a word of love right? A love that, that encompasses all who will come to him. It is, a, it is a better word of grace, a grace that is bigger than all my sin, a grace that is amazing. It is a word that is, that, is, that is bigger because it's a word of mercy, a word of forgiveness, a word of righteousness, a word of peace, a word of healing, a word of victory, a word of reconciliation, a word of restoration, a word of belonging, a word that one day, a heavenly home, a heavenly home. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Will you listen? <laughs>